This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Wednesday, 18th of January, 2023. A big surprise to the Bank of Japan for many, as uh, many were leaning for the Bank of Japan to tweak policy further, maybe even walk away from yield curve control at the extreme. Instead, we sort of get a doubling down on the existing policy. A Governor Kuroda, who says that they have not yet won the inflation fight and no signs that he is willing to uh, budge another inch at least uh, under the rest of his time as governor, which ends pretty soon uh, in early April. So how does the market absorb this? Well, with that huge lean again, going into the, the uh, going into the meeting with the risk of uh, uh, options hedging, the risk of a further tweak, there was a huge release of the pressure and we saw the yen drastically weaker, somewhat operating against that. And I would argue one of the reasons we have dollar yen back below, at least uh, it was below 130 the last time I looked at it before uh, starting the podcast after trading above 131 would be that we're getting uh, softer yields elsewhere. And this is actually sort of helps the Japanese yen out from the perspective of yield spreads. So uh, yes, a huge release. I don't necessarily think the yen is going to run away to the downside here, but I'll get back to that later in the FX talk. But for now, with the Bank of Japan that is willing to continue with its current policy mix, we have to remember that defending that band has meant a lot of liquidity into the market. We also have a lot of liquidity coming from the uh, U.S. Treasury running down its account. A big drain uh, recently on the uh, reverse repo facility in the U.S. There's just lots of liquidity liquidity afoot here as a potentially key driver for a further uh, boost to risk assets. We see very easy financial conditions. The VIX pegs towards the lows of the range from back in, yeah, at least back in another uh, full year or so. Uh, we have corporate credit spreads, et cetera. So we continue to trade in this very pivotal area in the US S&P 500 that we've talked about 4,000 plus. I won't list all the figures, but I will add that there is a pretty interesting uh, descending trend line, especially if you look at the cash index. It doesn't look so good on the future because of that spike uh, on the uh, December 13th uh, CPI data release there. Big uh, big jump in the bubble stocks yesterday among, um, if we look at our equity theme baskets, uh, that, that you know, speaks to some of the liquidity and the risk on. We've seen a big bump in crypto prices, et cetera. So interesting to see if uh, getting over the hump of this Bank of Japan meeting and they're not discouraging the notion that liquidity is, is very plentiful here, could see a continued rise in risk assets. Uh but before I just prattle on too long about the, where the markets are looking after this Bank of Japan meeting, what happened in the gold market and how would you explain uh, what's going on here in, in metal space, uh, Ole? Well, we are seeing a little bit, or at least up until uh, earlier this morning, we saw a bit of a divergence between gold and copper. They have been uh, both been surging out of the starting block uh, so far this month. But uh, with the uh, dollar just uh, strengthening a bit ahead of that Bank of Japan meeting and immediately after, we saw some gold weakness while copper continues to uh, reach uh, fresh highs. We're trading at the highest level since June, still on the China reopening optimism, uh, just lifting the uh, industrial metal space in general. And with that, obviously, we're seeing some pretty solid gains uh, among some of the mining companies, uh, just looking at some of the major ETFs tracking the big mining companies. They are up around 10% this month, so basically up there among among the top bubble stocks and others in terms of performance. So uh, so very strong from uh, from otherwise normally what you categorize it's a pretty boring part of the stock market, but it just highlights the the return of the 
what you can almost call the old economy, the need for 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 raw materials to uh, to uh, to support the 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 recovery that uh, we're seeing at least uh, starting to come now in 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 China. But uh, looking more detail at gold, um, well, we 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 boxed in a bit here, just above nineteen hundred. Briefly took a, a peak below at nineteen hundred when the dollar rallied on in the aftermath of the Bank of Japan meeting. But as the dollar now softens, the gold is moving higher again. So it just highlights. At least for now, that the the dollar is the main driver for for gold uh, on the chart. I uh, put in the dollar index, and if you just look at the the recent recent movements, you can almost argue that gold potentially has overextended its its rally. Uh, at least if it's based on on the dollar. But there's a lot of speculative interest coming into the market as well. Right now, we've gone from from short covering to uh, to longs being added, and that that is still driving it because. There are other markets, other parts of the market, which are still witnessing some, uh, seeing some softness, and that is still the ECF holdings. We're actually seeing a small reduction, so we're, it hasn't moved for the past two months when gold has rallied strongly. I, I would like to see a pickup there in order for for this rally to be sustained. The uh, the volatility market or the option market up until yesterday, at least, uh, also indicate that there was not really much in terms of aggressive buying of calls. Uh, but uh, there's been a small change that uh, over the last uh, 24 hours so uh, at least the, the option market is is supporting the the current move we're seeing on the on the upside yeah so i have put on slide three on the fx overview showing the aussie yen chart and of course uh, the the prior few days saw the market leaning for the risk hedging for the risk the implied volatility in options for very short dated options was extremely high uh, there was a skew for the risk of downside it wasn't a huge skew as i noted relative to prior uh, prior episodes of feared and actual yen volatility. So the big release, we pop back to the high of that zone. But again, if when you look at uh, where longer yields are, they're settling towards their lows in many geographies, including in Australia. So you're getting a little bit of a headwind for <clears throat> for uh, Australian yen upside from the fact that those yields are so low. And then I think just enhancing the sort of liquidity story, overall liquidity story we have going on here. We have a story coming out yesterday in which I believe it was at least Bloomberg cited, I don't know if it was their, uh, their original story, citing some ECB officials in uh, discussing increasing support for shifting to 25 basis point hikes after the February 50, uh, presumed 50 basis point hike from the ECB. This saw German two-year yields marked around 10 basis points lower, and they were already down a little bit on the day. So we have a very different shift here suddenly from the ECB. Uh, Euro crosses were hit. Euro dollar was trading well below 108 this morning. But here you come in this morning, it's, it's bobbed all the way back up to as, as high as 108.50, again, just before I came in here to record the podcast. So dollar negative, very dollar negative to see this, this liquidity angle on, on everything and to see risk on. And again, given that we're at these uh, key sort of tipping points, technically, it's going to be a very interesting few sessions ahead. And as we have this, uh, the really the heart of earnings season cranking up uh, next week. Okay, and then just uh, a couple of charts on Bank of Japan here. So we have slide four. And they launched this, uh, as I highlight there, they launched this new facility, uh, I think essentially helping out to the banks with their uh, very sorry loan portfolios and keeping them uh, happy. They have a new facility announced where there are uh, up to 10 years if you sort of pull together loans and sell these to the Bank of Japan. Uh, it's sort of like a Teltro arrangement, it looks like here. And they were announcing an operation on this already next week for, for five years on these things. So, uh, so it's interesting to see the participation around that. But for now, you see uh, on the left there, on the charts I created, that's the Bank of Japan's JGB holdings. And you can see how these accelerated as uh, 2022 progressed, as the US moved aggressively to normalize its policy, having to defend that yield cap became, has become increasingly expensive. 
a big jump uh, back late last year. And I assume uh, we don't have the January figure on that, that chart yet, but uh, there should have been a hop there as well, given the the JGB market trading above the band at times in January. But just for perspective, the May to December time period, you're adding $300 billion of liquidity into the market uh, on the order of $38 trillion. Yen. And you see the yield uh, chart for JGBs, 10-year JGBs on the right. They managed to crush it back below 50 basis points. I may have an easy time defending the band as long as uh, yields are on the decline elsewhere. I think to get pressure back on the Bank of Japan and significant pressure back on the Japanese yen, we're going to need to see your space order coming back in with uh, some significant price rises in commodities, uh, especially energy, and to see yields back on the rise again. So in other words, again, to emphasize, this has been a, a yen negative event in sort of a binary fashion overnight, the the, the fact of a no-go. We still have hanging out there in, in terms of uncertainty into April. Who is the new leader of the Bank of Japan? Is there a, a, a normalization process set in motion after that time frame? That is a key question, you know, potentially breaking any, you know, or, or slowing any potential for further yen drops, as well as the Simple fact that uh, yields are on the are on the decline as the bond markets have picked up in this uh, hoped for soft landing with some kind of landing scenario for just to judge from uh, where yield curve slopes are and how much uh, longer yields have fallen. But the uh, the energy space is not really cooperating 100 with this outlook. Uh, we've seen it heating up a bit here, or getting into some maybe some interesting first uh, sets of resistance lines in, in some of the charts. Indeed, and if if um... And it's, uh, uh, yeah, as uh, put here on slide six, we've got Brent crude just basically getting close to challenging that uh, downtrend from uh, the June peak last year. It's coming in uh, pretty close to the to the uh, late December high at uh, 67 or 87. So uh, we were there uh, earlier today. So uh, a break above that level will will uh, likely signal some additional strength in the oil market. And, and the rally so far seems to be driven by the product market where gasoline already has broken up, uh, took out the uh, the previous high from, from December. So that's where the the bid is coming from, and the market is is probably starting to get a bit, a little bit concerned about the uh, embargo on Russian fuel products starting next month. And uh, Russia has already been out saying that they will probably be struggling selling the the products, the the, uh, the amount of products they normally sell into the global market, and uh, that basically means they may may sell more oil, uh, so non-refined uh, oil instead, and, and that's. Uh, that's leaving the product market uh, a bit tight. Well, well, it will create some, create some tightness in the product market. So that's why the, the gasoline and, and gas oil and diesel probably been the, the main driver for the move higher. And, and it is obviously adding to the, to the, uh, to the inflationary pressures, which we, uh, which we obviously been celebrating coming down pretty hard recently. But uh, it doesn't bode potentially well for for what may happen later in the year. So uh, most certainly one worth keeping an eye on. All right. And then also in the energy space, if we look at today's earnings watch in the U.S., an interesting player in the shale gas area, EQT, the second largest producer in the largest uh, shale gas region of the U.S., the Appalachia region. Uh, reporting today, interesting to see if they have anything to say on the, the near term to, to longer term outlook in terms of the productivity of, of the Marcellus uh, shale area, which is in Appalachia. I was just having a brief look here, and it actually looks like the big growth areas are not in Marcellus anymore. They're in two other shale gas regions, especially the Permian and Haynesville. But still, uh, long-term productivity is a huge question for energy markets uh, going over the next, uh, let's call it 10 to 20 years for sure. Kinder Morgan as well, a big pipeline company, but uh, a couple more or sort of retail-oriented uh, financial services names reporting today in the U.S. 
The two big giants, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley on the institutional side, uh, reporting yesterday with very different results. Uh, Goldman Sachs was listed as the second worst performer on the day in the S&P 500, uh, missing even worse than expected, very weak M&A activity. They've got some uh, loan loss reserves that they're increasing, and they've been stumbling in their sort of retail-focused uh, effort there, whereas Morgan Stanley has... Uh, uh, done very well by focusing quite uh, laser-like on apparently on wealth management. So the very differing results in uh, uh, there, but I, again, I don't think the earnings here are sort of broadly market shaking at this point. I think it is a liquidity picture and where we are at these uh, key technical levels, as mentioned. Macro calendar, we've already highlighted what's coming up today. Retail sales, uh, this is for the uh, holiday shopping season. So quite interesting in the U.S. there. They're expected a little bit negative on the month on month. And the latest, uh, one of the key housing market indicators, the NAHB, is quite interesting there. Australia with some employment data up overnight and the further impact on UK housing from the rise in mortgage rates also up in late hours tonight. Uh, and then I just want to briefly mention, I've, I've sort of just uh, lazily uh, not updated my my expectations on Norwegian Central Bank, which was long expected to hike 25 basis points. But it looks like the market is and the observers are quite split on whether to go ahead and hike uh, again, given the momentum of what's going on elsewhere, there's certainly creeping and higher odds that they uh, stand pat here and wait for any further hikes for a following meeting. But uh, we'll look at that as that rolls in tomorrow as well. All right. That is a wrap for today. Interesting times after this Bank of Japan no-go. Kuroda just digging in his heels does not uh, appear to be the one that wants to change before leaving uh, in April. So we'll see how the market reaction continues to follow on from here. And we'll be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>